Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. Program initiated. Enter when ready. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we are discussing the Star Trek Discovery episode, If Memory Serves. Vicki, what did you think of this episode? Well, I'm glad they went the way they did with um, Pike and the plan, the planet. I'm glad they did that, did it that way. I agree. I agree. I was, I was concerned. I, I really, I actually. And once again, they did, they came up with a good idea and it, and it worked. I agree. I really liked this episode very much. Well, once again, with the, the Burnham and the Spock, I don't know. Well, I will say it was better than the... You know, they... Go ahead. No, I was I, I was waiting for better than what? I thought it was better than last week's Burnham Spock episode and the week oh, before. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, but, but perhaps your perspective is right in that when you have no place to go but up, perhaps it isn't as up as I think it is. Well, my, my whole problem with this whole reveal of the horrible thing she did to Spock, which was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, me too. That she was mean to him when he was a child. Boo-hoo. And so it wasn't, they had all this buildup for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it was nothing. I mean, it was it was awful what she said to him, but they lived in the same house for years later. And they kind of built it up that whatever happened, and then she never saw him again. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it, kind of ridiculous. I agree, and and it was something that both of them, as adults, should have been able to discuss with each other and completely, you know, correct between themselves. And 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 I got the impression it was something that happened as adults. No, they when they showed the flashback, they were children. I understand when that. Away. But when they first referenced this, yeah. you know, episodes ago, I thought it was exactly. something that happened when they were adults, which would then be much more prickly and difficult to overcome. Not something that happened as children, where as adults you have the backward perspective to understand why you did things as children and better understand them and forgive. So I agree that. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes. But then they lived in the house for years after that. Yeah. So nobody knew of this. Nobody. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. It was so, just, it was a, and, and unfortunately that's what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But it was still a letdown when that turned out to be what it was. Yeah. So you're right. That particular it's pocket, I, I will agree with you. That particular pocket, that particular sort of sub story was disappointing. Very. But I loved, I loved, I absolutely loved the opening with the flashback to the cage. Yeah. And then the opening when you leave the cage, Captain Pike's face, and go to this discovery, Captain Pike's face was brilliant. I I loved that. That was fantastic. And I loved a lot of the layers that they're developing here. Um, There was a, a lot that happened in this episode. 
uh, amongst all the characters that I thought was really cool. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and start talking about that? Because when we start the episode, after we do that wonderful opening piece with the cage and then melding it with um, Discovery, then we spend some time um, with Section 31. And what was I thought was really interesting is Section 31, of course, is framing um, the escape of Burnham and Spock as mutiny again. So Burnham's in trouble mm-hmm. again. And it's clearly this is exactly what Agent yeah. Georgia wanted. You're starting yeah. to see all the strings. She is sitting in the web, man, and she is pulling the <laughs> strings. And you're starting to see yeah. the scope of what she's doing, which is really cool. Yeah. She's got the admirals kind of on her side. She's starting to throw Leland under the bus quite a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And there's some very terrific interactions between her and Leland as he's trying to maintain authority and control, and she's clearly just eating that away. Yeah. A bite at a time. Right, and he's lost it. Yeah. So then, um, and, and what's interesting is how she recommended that they sort of cut Discovery out of the loop on finding Burnham and Spock. And, and I, I thought it was interesting how the Admirals went for it. Her her reason made sense. It actually that. did it. I don't. I'm not sure if I was a Starfleet admiral. I think I would have been like, wait a minute, Captain Pike's one of our finest captains. Are you suggesting that he has no control over his own emotions? That he can't separate out his duty from his, you know, friendships? You know, that's where. Well, I, go ahead. Right. I think she was suggesting more that if if she Burnham was going to contact somebody, it would be him. I don't think she ever suggested that he would have to help her, but they were listening for that um, message. Well, I guess I think it depends on how you interpret what she said. I think she said personal entanglements. So how do you interpret that? Does that mean that as a captain, he can't disentangle his personal entanglements from his duty? That's what I, I just kind of was expecting the admirals to kind of push back a little bit on that, and they didn't. Uh, no, I didn't take it that way. I, mm. I know the personal entanglements. I took it as Burnham trusted him and he would be the one she would contact. I didn't take it that they thought that he would jump to her, you know, rescue. I thought they were just l- listening for the um, message. And in that way would find Burnham. I guess. Hmm. Anyway, okay. So then um, Agent Giorgio orders discovery to stay where they are and figure out what they can find from the destruction of the squiddy probe that they encountered in the previous um, episode and and she you know says that they're going to find Spock and Burnham that they're on the run and you know Pike is confused by this and Tyler has no doubt that there is a logical reason for it and so after they finished talking with Agent Giorgio about their orders to remain in place, Pike's like, okay, dude, what the heck's going on? I need to know. So, I, with, and Burnham, so Burnham never had that conversation. So Burnham Pike. never had the conversation with them, yep. And about Giorgio, because that was part of the conversation. Yep, exactly. Um, so Tyler tells, them, tells him, yeah, we kind of had a thing. I like... I like how he said she's not entirely disinterested. <laughs> There's some great lines in this episode. Yeah. 
So, and then there was this this discussion where he says he wants to make sure that Tyler's feelings aren't going to get in the way of the mission. Which is a conversation that I have always found in previous, you know, shows, whatever the show is, about, you know, are you, you sure your feelings are not going to get in the way? And I've always really hated that conversation because it suggests that professional people can't compartmentalize their feelings and their, you know, from what they're supposed to do. And maybe they can't. <laughs> maybe I'm the only one who does that. I don't know. But I was really excited by the fact that it's usually a female that that conversation is held right. with. And this time it was a guy. And I was like, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so then we, um, then we go uh, to Burnham and Spock on their shuttle. And she's learning about Talos 4. And so by this point, we realize that it's post-Cage Talos 4, right. which is great. Um, because that yeah. adds to the continuity that we were looking for. And so and I really was happy about that. And they emerge outside of Talos 4, except that it's a black hole. And she's trying to pull back and Spock essentially takes control of the shuttlecraft and plunges them into the black hole. And my son and my husband were like, what is he doing? Oh my God. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Remember the Telosians, they project illusions. <laughs> this is just an illusion. <laughs> They're like, how did you know that? And I'm like, because I watched that episode. <laughs> and I tell my son, it's a good one. You'll like it. Even though he probably won't like it because, you know, it's 50 years old and it looks really hokey. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's delightfully hokey. <laughs> So, um, but I actually like the look of the original. I do too. I can't tell you how much I would love to have one of those velour shirts. Yeah. Yeah. But even their, their, the prosthetics weren't that hokey. Yeah. It was very little of it. And they changed them. And I like the, I like the original. Yeah. You're right. They made them all glowy now. They added the glow effect. Yeah. So, so then we move back to Discovery, and now we're kind of following up on what's going on with Stamets and Culber. And I had another one of those moments where I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this interaction between Stamets and Culber, which is really painful to watch, yes. where the heck is the therapist on this ship? How I know, and you say that all the time. I say I that all the time. <laughs> With Starfleet being as knowledgeable as it is, why is there not a therapist on the ship who can explain that this kind of reaction is, like, perfectly normal and expected, and there are ways of dealing with it, which, by the way, are not being used at all? <laughs> right. It's like... Yeah, Stamets is just going and making it all worse. Well, he's got his own... Not on purpose. Not but. on purpose, but he's got his own grief that he hasn't dealt with, and Culper's got a grief now. He's right. got a trauma and a grief that he's got to deal with, and there's no one there walking up through it. <laughs> Theoretically, <laughs> Culper should know, but, you know, he's the one that's experienced the trauma, so we can cut him some slack because he may not be able to, you know, pull all that information out when he needs to. So, anyway, what's really interesting is that Culber leaves... Stamets' quarters, I guess. He doesn't consider them to be his quarters anymore. He leaves them right. on a mission to go find Tyler. He's going to go right. find Tyler. So he goes into the mess hall, and he starts verbally attacking Tyler. He wants to bring Vok out. 
because it wasn't Ooh. Tyler that killed him. It was Vok that killed him. And Tyler's like, sorry, it really doesn't work that way. And so then Culber starts to attack him. And then Saru lets him. <laughs> no, but you know what? I think he was right. I think he was too. And both needed to get there. Again, they both needed to be there. However, a therapist would have been really valuable in this process rather than fisticuffs. Well, we don't seem to have <laughs> we, don't right, seem we don't seem to have one of those. Apparently so. our therapist is Saru. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway But you know, at the end of the at the end of the fight when, you know, Culver says, I don't know who I am anymore. Oh gosh, that was powerful. You know, Tyler says, well, who, look, who, who do you think you're talking to? Yeah. I think that these two can actually, now they have a bond. Yep. They can help each other. I think so. Yeah. I think they're going to end up being, I don't want to say friends, but. Well, it would be. They have a connection. They're connected now. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that either one of them realized that until that little exchange. Yep. And it was really powerful and very well done. It's one of the things I really liked. And then, of course, after the fight scene, Saru is in a turbo lift with Captain Pike. And Captain Pike is like, what the heck were you doing? Why didn't you stop that? And now we find out that Saru's evolution has made him sassy. Sure, yeah. (laughs) What does he say? (laughs) Oh, God. I forget what he said. He said something really funny. I'll see if I can... Do you remember what he said? Oh, about there was no protocol for, yeah. Yeah. The whole thing about there's no protocol for uh, a Klingon that's been grafted in, or a human that's been grafted with, with a Klingon, Klingon bone. Right. And, and a guy who's been returned from the that com- yeah. returned from the dead by spores. Yeah. So funny. So sassy. We've got, you know. Right, <laughs> <I> too. <laughs> and, you know, Pike handles it well and goes, okay, true. However, from now on, let's just do it the way we're supposed to do it. So that was fantastic. Hey. So uh, Burnham lands on Talos 4, and she's going to go have a look around, and she finds the humming blue plants, which I always loved, the humming blue plant. And I'm really glad yeah. they returned them. I remember as a kid loving them because they were so quintessential 60s sci-fi you know ambient sound and they brought them back yes. and i actually re-watched the cage did you I wanted to remember the time so then venus shows up in the shuttlecraft and so we know that you know contact has been made and vena you know is the as the facilitator between the telosians and burnham and spock and so then they beam down to where the telosians are and they're going to help Spock clean up his head because his head's a mess because he perceived time different different than his than his ability to perceive time linearly, which is kind of strange to me because I don't know. I don't think maybe I didn't fully understand this, but perceiving time as a nonlinear construct doesn't seem like it's that hard to do. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, yeah, I I don't really understand what they did to help him. Yeah. Other than just sort of maybe Either. maybe just put the events what? that he had in his brain in order so that he could understand them, maybe that was the problem. Maybe because they I were was, he needed to understand. Yeah, about what was- and here's where we get to um, we get to the point that you made about this conflict between the two of them, because along with the sort of weakness of that 
particular story element. I also thought that them demanding payment from her was a weakness in the story element. Right. It, it seemed ridiculous. If they use yeah. other, pe- other species' experiences as part of their entertainment, she probably had a whole gazillion experiences that she could have shared with them. How about the mirror universe? <laughs> right, it didn't have to be a little argument. Right. I keep saying little, but it was an argument between, between children. Between children, exactly. And, and there's so right. many things that they could have asked her for. And so I don't know whether this was supposed to be you know, therapeutic and they just made it seem like it was... The t- their price and they were actually you know they knew it would be helpful in their relationship I, I don't know but you know I was always like this, this doesn't make sense as to why why they needed that particular myth. now there are also some really terrific um, interactions before between Spock and Burnham <laughs> there Beard. too yeah so uh, that was funny <laughs> that yeah. was really funny and that was like the first time that they actually seemed like they were siblings yeah. Do you exactly. Ha- yeah. That's exactly what I thought too. They're talking to each other like they're siblings. Yes. Not whatever they are now. Exactly. And and that was really funny. So meanwhile, um, we go back to Discovery and Vina gets to visit Pike. And this is another element of this story that I really loved. Be- because in the original series we got to see Pike and Vina together in the cage and where because of what they were struggling with together they actually developed a genuine fondness for each other and a relationship with each other which then had they had to be separated through the circumstances of of Vina's living on Talos and then after that we don't see them again until the menagerie and so you kind of you don't you don't really you don't really get much to the relationship, but here she appears to him and you see that that relationship is still exists and is still genuine and there's still real feelings involved. And I really like that. Yes. And it was only, it only took what, five seconds to communicate that information and then move on with right. the story. Which leads more credence to the menagerie yes. when he goes back there. Yes, exactly. So it was just, it was a wonderful connection. We didn't spend a lot of time there. It didn't become maudlin. It was just, this is still real, and it was it was really cool. I really liked that, and so it was a, it was also a terrific way for Burnham to be able to communicate with the Discovery without Section Thirty One knowing about it. So that was fantastic. Yeah. So the Talosians help Spock sort things out, and um, Burnham gets to see it, and she gets to see that he tried to mind meld with the Red Angel, and this is what sent him off the deep end. And he knows it's a human in the mechanical suit but he doesn't know anything about anything other than that and then he refused to stay at the hospital to be interrogated by section 31 and that's why they brought the false charges against him and i think that was pretty much it that was all of the of the big pieces of it so section 31 finally did catch up to them on talos and there's a bit of a standoff between Leland and Captain Pike, and Captain Pike lets Leland appear to win after Vina said, go ahead. Okay, so here's a question I have yeah. about this, because yeah. this bothered me too. Nobody can see Vina but him. Apparently. Nobody can hear what she's saying to him. Right. Right? I, yeah. What's, what's all that, why couldn't she say to him, will send an illusion to the other ship. I all the um, 
Why didn't she just come straight out and say it instead of saying let him go? Why all the, the... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I'm assuming she's being projected into his head. Yes. So I, I don't know. Say what she meant and why all the uh, covert messages and to keep, you know to having him trust her and figure it out if he even did figure it out to keep us in the dark until they could spring it on us. Yes, but. <laughs> Yeah, knowing that nobody could hear her, what's the point of all that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, But it was funny because, you know, then Section 31 beams up both Spock and Burnham, or who they think are Spock and Burnham, and then they're like, We're, we have ways to make you talk, which is not what he said, but essentially what he said. <laughs> and they said, no, I don't think so. And she says, say goodbye, Spock. And then he does the, you know, the Burns and Allen, say goodbye, Spock, and goodbye, Spock. Yeah. and. Then they vanish into thin air, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> and then well, that's go, kind of funny, yeah. Yeah, and then they are they get their shuttle back on Discovery, and so we so finally now Spock is getting incorporated into Discovery, and Pike is happy to see him, and now they're going to be a fugitive ship. Right. So and at one moment point, and I don't remember. Oh, right, and apparently. Somehow they think that Tyler has somehow betrayed them. Right. He was sent, she thought they thought that he was sending messages. Yes. And now that's another problem I had with the episode because okay. he's section thirty one. He's not he he would be smarter than that. Right. But we know that it's actually Arium, the cyber right device person, cyber, cyber, cybernetic person. Right, whatever she is, yeah. That has somehow been infected with right. the oh. virus that came from the Squiddy probe. Right. Yeah. So I'm assuming... Right. And so they finally figure it out it's not Tyler because he was confined right. to quarters when they found out where Burnham and Spock right. were. You know, and I, and you're right, now that I think about it, I agree with that. And that's very, um, it's very soap opera-esque, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. I'm it's, having a lot of It's his fault. I don't, I don't know if they have two different writers on each episode because there's parts that are great and then there's parts I could write. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel the same way. Sometimes I'm like listening going, who writes this stuff? <laughs> oh, that happened to me recently watching a rerun of Voyager. And there's just some line, and I'm like, who writes this stuff? I know, <laughs> I know. so hokey. <laughs> oh, man, anyway. But I will say this. I actually overall really, really like this episode. So, you know, you and I, we, we have such high expectations of Star Trek because we know what Star Trek can do. There are some Star Trek episodes yeah. that are, you know, they're, they're sublime. They are the pinnacle of really good writing and good acting and good storytelling and and so you and I I think both agree that we have huge expectations for this series and uh, maybe that's the problem yeah. maybe that's my problem <laughs> well I think but, it's okay because you know, I've been go ahead you no go ahead you've been well I was thinking about it a lot today driving because I think a lot maybe. <laughs> um and I think a lot of my problem with this season is if you remember last season, well, number one, all the characters were new to us. They threw so much at us that we had, that we were wondering about from the very beginning. Like, we always knew Lorca was shady. Yeah. But we just didn't know what it was about him. Um, 
then they threw us the the Bach and Tyler thing, and there's nobody that could ever tell me that they didn't plan all that information for everybody to, you know, investigate and worry about and yep. speculate about. Yep. They gave us a lot last season for us to be interested in. Now this season, at the end of last season, we knew we were going to see Pike. Okay, fine. Then there was speculation: would we see Spot? Well, they told us. They told us who they hired. They told us who they hired for Pike. Um, it, it's like it, we. I don't think we had any um, doubt that we were going to see Tyler again. There was nothing to look forward to. Everything that's happened so far has been predictable. So, so it wasn't a big deal to see Spock again. It wasn't a big yeah. deal to see Pike. You know, Tyler. Yeah, we knew that was coming. The only thing that I was excited about was the albino base. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's less of what we had last season, and I can almost, even though I hate to say it, I can almost wish Lorca would show up. <laughs> well, and I'm going to see if I can paraphrase what you just said a little bit, because I think you raise a really very interesting point, and that is that last season we knew that we were going to be in for the long haul. We knew this was going to be a complicated storyline, and we appreciated being fed the clues that enabled us to try to solve the mystery on our own. Now, we're being given a mystery with no clues. Yeah, maybe that's it too, yes. yeah. And yes, I think- and everything else is predictable. Yeah, and I think, I, I agree with you 100%, because I think if they instead just focused on good sci-fi storytelling, like uh, New Eden, that was really good sci-fi storytelling. It didn't need a big, you know, mystery arc over the whole season. It was just good storytelling. So I think you're right. right. I think they either need to, if you're going to do the mystery over the whole arc, give us clues to keep us engaged, or just focus on your ship in the bottle, good storytelling, stories one at a time, maybe just a few. You know, that's the one thing that I thought think was really good about Deep Space Nine. They had the story arc, but they didn't try to make it a story arc. They just had they ha I don't know how to explain it. Every single episode was a ship in the bottle episode, with a few exceptions, and and even right. those exceptions were, you know, to be continued stories. And they clearly said to be continued, so that you understood yeah. that this was, you know, a single story that had been divided up into two. But they still had this overarching theme, this arc that was above it all, but not necessarily as deeply intertwined. So that every single time you watch an episode, you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? And you didn't get that satisfaction of the complete story does yeah. that make sense at all <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly but even the characters like if you remember sam is in the first season he was snarky he was sarcastic but he was still likable yeah and we haven't seen that at all from him he's yeah. a puddle right now and he was a puddle from the first episode yeah and the only time we saw a little bit of that was when he interacted with uh what was her name uh, jet Yes, yes. That's the only time we've seen the old experiments. And like we said last week, Burnham seems to have lost all her, you know, last year we called her a cowboy. She was just emotional and everything was, everything she did was all about her emotion. And now, as we said last week, she doesn't seem, she doesn't seem to have any instincts or emotions. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, maybe they'll listen to us. Maybe they'll find us out there in podcast land and listen to our recommendations. Or not. <laughs> I mean, and some of it's so good that 
you know, there's times when I just don't even want to watch this anymore. Really? But there are parts and little bits and pieces that are so good. They're so tight. They're tight and well done. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Well, and like I said, you know, the beginning of this with that mashup with the cage and, you know, Discovery Pike was brilliant. And yeah. um, and there were pieces of this that, that did very, very well. And so I actually really enjoyed this episode. I really liked it, all told. Yeah, I liked it. I, like I said, the Burnham and Spock parts. Yeah. Hopefully we're over that. We're over all that now that they're together on the show. Exactly. And you know it was funny, and I don't know if it was uh, if it had anything to do with anything, but because, like I said, I rewatched the cage just because I was trying to get the timeline in my head. Yeah. Um, and and you're talking about the blue flowers, and Spock was smiling. Yes. In the cage. And he smiled again at the end of this episode. This, at the end of this episode, yep. he said, "Are you smiling?" So yeah, that, that was good. And so maybe with the other really good actors and characters on Discovery that'll filter out this whole maudlin Spock Burnham thing. Yeah, they have to give us some left turns or something. They yeah. Have to do that. Yeah. So cool. So on a scale of one to ten, what would you give this? Well, I can't I'm I'm gonna go with seven. Seven, seven and a half maybe. Okay, I think I was I think I went all the way to eight with this um, one. So Yeah. Any other thoughts? I think so. Okay. Well, next episode is called Project Daedalus. And, you know, of course, we're going to tap into my knowledge of Greek and Roman myths again, because that's all I did during the fourth grade, was sit in the library and read. Um, Daedalus, I think, is best known for his son, Icarus, who they were trying to escape a castle, and they built wings made of feathers and wax, and warned his son not to fly too close to the the sun and he did and the wax melted and Icarus went plunging to his death but the other thing that Daedalus did that a lot of people sometimes forget is that he actually built the labyrinth um, in which the Minotaur was imprisoned you know you hear about the Minotaur and underneath the castle and Crete or whatever it was yeah. and he was the architect of that labyrinth so I'm curious as to which of these famous you know, designs that they might be referencing by calling this Project Daedalus. Is it the wings made of feathers and wax, or is it the labyrinth? So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Or does it have nothing to do with it at all, and I'll be disappointed? (laughs) 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 And it's not the first time they've used Daedalus in Star Trek, either. There was an episode of Enterprise called Daedalus, where... Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I don't know what Yeah, it was the one where... um, the inventor of the transporter came on board the Enterprise mm. to do experimentation with a transporter, but in reality he was trying to get his son, his son. out of some kind of transporter flux parallel universe kind of thing. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we invite our listeners to join us when we talk about the Star Trek Discovery episode, Project Daedalus. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. 
transfer complete.